sin with less detail about the creation itself and much more detail about the man that he had created in the creation of Eve. And that brings us now, right, we're still continuing in that, in that section. These are the generations of the earth when it was created. And then in Genesis 3, we have the fall <clears throat> of that man. We have, the, we have the explanation of the fall. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we saw last week that in the course of telling us about the fall, that God's word was subjected to three different forces, if I could put it that way. It was subjected to exaggeration. Eve exaggerated what God had said. It was subject to deception. Eve did not clearly articulate what God had said, and it was subject to contradiction. Satan denied what God had said. And in fact, folks, the very first Bible doctrine that is ever denied is the doctrine of God's judgment. Genesis 2.17, God said, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And in doing that, God did not go through, oh, excuse me, God did not go through any of the other components of the fall. In other words, God did not say to them, you will be sad, and you will experience pain, and you will get sick, and you will have unhappiness in this world, and you will find yourself in conflict. He kind of took them to the, <clears throat> to the ultimate edge of what it would mean to be disobedient. That if they ate it, they would most certainly die. And this, of course, is exactly what Satan denied. <clears throat> you will not die. God said you would, but he does not mean that. And that really is then kind of, folks, the run-up <clears throat> to Genesis chapter number 4. Right, we've had. <clears throat> if you'll put it, if you'll think of it in these terms, we've had our, we've been introduced to our very first God and Satan conflict. God said one thing, Satan said another. Now, what's what's going to come of that? God said, "If you eat, you will die." Satan said, "No, you won't." What will happen instead, rather than die, you will become just like God. And to you will be invested the power to determine whether something is intrinsically good or intrinsically evil. That will be your call. So, and again, without going back and reworking our way through the entirety of the passage of the fall, Satan deceived Eve. And the text of the scripture is very clear about that. But the text of scripture is equally clear that Satan did not deceive Adam. And when Adam ate of the fruit that his wife gave him, he did knowing full well that this was nothing other than blatant and outright rebellion. And he made his choice. Genesis 4 and 5 then, just broadly within kind of in the framework and the structure of the book of Genesis, 
serve to demonstrate that God meant what he said. That if you eat of it, you will die. That, that God is sincere and intent on keeping his word, even if it is unpleasant to his creation, even if those who are the recipients, right? He made the warning, if you do this, you will die. Don't do it. Don't do it. And they did it anyway. And God's judgment then is of death. If we go back, and again, I don't want to go back, but God's judgment, right? He said to Adam in Genesis 2, when you eat of it, you will die. But when you read through God's pronouncement of judgment in Genesis 3, 14 through 17, we see that it is much more comprehensive than simply falling over in immediate death. There is hostility. There is labor. These are things that are incorporated into that. And so now we take off still under this broad heading of these are the generations of the heavens and the earth in the day when God created them. What became of the man that God created? Well, Satan was on the scene and there was a conflict between God and Satan that played out in the lives of Adam and Eve. And they made their choice and it was a bad choice. And now they're going to have to live with the consequences of that choice. So let's read verses 1 through 16, which describe to us the the birth and the life of Abel and Cain. Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground, and in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, that shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, and which has opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood. From thy hand, when thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth. From thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. The Lord said unto Cain, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And we will stop there for now. So, right, so what is the immediate storyline after the fall? Right, the prediction had been death. 
But the immediate storyline before we have death is we have life. And we have two brothers who are born. They are born to the same physical parents. So when we get into, and my plan is that we'll deal with this on New Year's Day, right? When we get into Genesis, the first eight verses of Genesis 6, we have one of the great controversies about who the parties are and who the offspring are. But that's not in any controversy here. Cain and Abel both come from the same set of physical parents. Eve's proclamation is, and we believe that this is her reaction to Genesis 3.15, Eve's proclamation is that she has gotten a man from the Lord. And we want to make sure that we note that, that this came from the Lord. God gave me this son. In verse number 2, we read that they are both engaged in honorable and permissible occupations. And we'll come to this in a little bit more, folks. But, but we, if we try to find something wrong mechanically, if I can use that word, with Abel's offering, we are missing the point. And, I, and I, again, I will return to that. Both of these men are engaged in honorable occupations. One is a shepherd, one is a farmer. So there is nothing of any question in the way they are employed. One is not employed sinfully, one is not employed spiritually. In verses 3 through 5, both of these men bring an offering to the Lord. Which in light of what we will subsequently know about Cain raises a question that we can't answer. Why did he even bother? But he did bring his offering to the Lord. And it is at the presentation of the offering that the conflict results. And we're going to look at this in a little more detail um, in a Sunday morning message. But folks, let us understand that God gets to be the final judge of what makes an offering acceptable to him. This, This is his territory to make the decision about what offerings are acceptable to him. Okay? So the, t- the story tells us, verse number three, that Cain brings his offering, and it is of the fruit of the ground. And then it tells us that Abel brought his offering, which is the firstlings of his flock. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. And the idea there of respect is that God looked upon it. God looked upon it favorably. When, when, when Abel brought his animal and the fat, God found that to be acceptable. But in verse number 5, but unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. So whereas God would look or maybe look favorably upon Abel's offering, and how that is, we're not told. He did not look favorably upon Cain's offering, and how that disfavor is expressed, we are not told. 
Now, I'm not saying, folks, please, I'm not saying that there isn't something wrong mechanically with Cain's offering. I'm saying that's the, not the big issue here. And what I'm getting at is sometimes you'll read it this way, that, that Abel's offering was acceptable because it involved the, living sacri- the sacrifice of a living being and it, and it was blood, and all of that is true. And that Cain's offering was unacceptable because it was of the ground and of the grain. But you have to be very careful there because the law did make provision for those kinds of offerings. So, and I'm not saying these men knew the law because they didn't know the law. They were well before the law. But God did not criminalize plant-based offerings in the Old Testament. There was a legitimate place for them. So we have to go looking beyond simply the mechanical which is, of course, what God is always much more concerned about than simply the expression of something mechanical. Just like to, to go off at a tangent. I'm very glad that you are here this morning. But let none of us think that somehow the mechanical presence of our body in the building is pleasing to the Lord all by itself. I mean, if you came into the building, sat, sat in one of the pews, popped open your phone, turned on Facebook, spent the whole day watching YouTube videos and Facebook posts and paid no attention to the singing, no attention to the preaching, no consideration of the word, no prayer expressed, no thought of God. Your presence in the building hardly constitutes an acceptable day spent in the Lord's day. So, right, so there's more going on and we'll return to that. I just want to leave that out there for now. Right? Because the story doesn't get into it, doesn't at this point in time explore what it is about Cain's offering that is deficient. It just tells us that it is. And then it immediately tells us about the conversation that God had with Cain, which that is really important, folks. What is God's, right, here comes Cain. Whatever his disposition, whatever his frame of mind, he comes to the Lord and he brings his offering and God says, I reject it. And you'll notice that Cain's reaction to God's rejection is both internal and external. Internally, he is very angry. Not crushed. Not crushed. He is angry. He is mad at God for not accepting his offering. And externally, his face falls. His anger shows all over his face. And this then leads to a conversation in verses 5 through 7, folks, in which God gives Cain really good instruction. And we just don't want to miss the way the Lord handles this. What, what would the Lord say to somebody who brings an unacceptable offering to him? He says, Let's talk about your unacceptable offering and how to bring an acceptable offering to you, to me. So the Lord said to Cain, verse 6, Why art thou wroth? Why are you mad at me? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, shalt thou not be accepted? 
In other words, folks, we have to back up and ask the question. Is there a place for Cain in a good sense in God's economy? Yes. Okay? I mean, right? Because because we're never very far away from the subject, folks, when we're talking about people getting saved and people not getting saved, right? We're never very far away from the conversation about election and predestination and foreknowledge and all those things. God could have said to Cain, I picked Abel and I didn't pick you, and that's just too bad for you, isn't it? But that isn't the way that God talked to Abel. He said, you know, if you, if you had done well, I will take your offering. It's not that I don't want your offering. If you do well, I will take your offering. And the idea there, if thou doest well, the idea, folks, is if you are pleasing. And I will just give you this note. It is found that way in Genesis 34, 18. In Deuteronomy 123, Genesis 34, 18 translates the Hebrew word with pleasing, and Deuteronomy 123 translates that word with pleased me well. So if what you bring is pleasing to me, I will take it. I'm not trying to, I mean, this is God's, basically God's argument again. I'm not trying to be unreasonable with you. And folks, let us not think that there is some kind of a double standard going on here that anything Abel done was good and nothing that Cain did could possibly be good. That's not what's being presented at all. Back to verse number 7. And if thou doest not well, if you are not pleasing, sin lies at the door. And of course, you probably are aware that this is a rather complicated sentence that we you know, try to explore exactly what it means. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So here, here's what I would understand, and let me just give you a verse where I think that what, what God is getting at. Right? Here we are in the place of offering. I will not accept your offering. You're angry. If the offering is right, I'm happy to take it. If you persist in this, right, greater sin, sin is right there outside, crouching at the door waiting for you. Do what is right, Genesis 3-7, and you will rule the sin. You will master the sin by doing that which is pleasing to God. Or you will be consumed by the sin. And, and here's the closest idea, folks. Here's one of the reasons that I think that we should think of it that way, because it is very similar to what God said to Eve when he was pronouncing judgment upon her after her part in the fall. Genesis 3.16, thy desire shall be to thy husband. There is the source of conflict, and he shall rule over thee. And now we have a very similar expression with reference to Cain and his offering. Right? There is going to be the, I mean, Galatians is very helpful to us, folks, right? The spirit lusts against the flesh, and the flesh lusts against the spirit. There is disharmony and conflict. There will never, ever be resolution. 
And we are going to be on one side or the other of that confrontation always. And so that is the way it is being presented, I think, to Cain. So God speaks very kindly and very helpfully to Cain. It isn't that I do not want your offering, but your offering must come to me in a way that is pleasing. That's an important concept, folks. It must come in a way that is pleasing, or I cannot accept it. And if I cannot accept your offering, you are in great peril from sin. But you can master sin if you are pleasing to me. But of course, rather than heed God's good instruction, Cain goes out and murders his brother. So a conversation with God that does not go the way Cain likes ends up in a conversation with Abel that ends up in Abel's death. Verse 4, or verse number 8, Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and this We don't know, of course, the content, but it is most certainly, folks, not a pleasant conversation, at least not on Cain's side of the equation. And it came to pass, middle of verse number 8, that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And this then brings us to yet another conversation with God. So Cain's life is a conversation with God, a conversation with Abel, and a conversation with God about Abel. In which we discover, folks, that, right, what did God say to him? Right? God is being very helpful. Cain, you've got to be pleasing to me. If you be pleasing to me, you'll be able to master sin. But if you don't, if if you're not pleasing to me, Sin's desire is to you, and your desire is to it, and you will not be unable to control it. And he does not control his sin. He commits sin. He is hostile toward his brother. He commits murder. And in verse number 9, he refuses to accept any responsibility for what he has done. The Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? He said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? I, why are you asking me? I don't know anything about Abel. And when God issues his punishment directive, he protests that he is being dealt dealt with unfairly. My punishment, folks, right? In verse number 10, God says, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened their mouth, her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. My punishment is greater than I can bear. So God has been really very helpful. Right? We understand, folks, or at least I hope that people would understand, that God is not rejecting Cain's 
offering out of some kind of inherent malice that God has set up a standard for Cain that is unattainable. Easy for Abel, unattainable for Cain. Not at all. Abel's offering was pleasing to the Lord. Cain's offering is not pleasing to the Lord. God talks to him about the fact that it needs to be pleasing to the Lord. And it provides him encouragement as to why this is so. Cain rejects God's counsel and, God, and Cain resents God's judgment. I don't deserve this. Folks, this will be the cry of lost people throughout all eternity. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. And that's a whole other doctrine. But, but folks, please do not ever think of, of the doctrine of eternal punishment as some kind of rehabilitation program. And yet, folks, going back to verse number 12, verse number 11 and 12, even God's punishment of Cain is gracious. Cain doesn't die. Cain lives. The ground is further cursed in verse number 12. Adam brought the curse upon the ground, and I would understand cursed is the ground for thy sake, not to mean on your behalf this will be a good thing for you, but you're the one who brought the curse upon the ground. The ground wasn't cursed until you sin. This curse is your fault. Now there is a new dimension to that curse. No matter how hard Cain works, the earth will never give to him the fullness that it could have otherwise. And you will be a fugitive and a vagabond, a wanderer. And if you will just indulge me for a second, this is what we call a hendiadus in grammar. It is two words describing the same thing. Now I think, but I could not prove, so I would not argue with you, that built into that in verse number 13, or verse number 12, is not only a physical sense, but an emotional one. It is the nature of human beings, because we are all by nature sinners. We are all by birth descendants of Cain in some way. That we are restless, wandering people, you talk about the grass being greener. That is a reflection of our sinfulness, our sinful dissatisfaction with things. And in response to, get to Cain's protest that his punishment is unreasonable, right? That because I have murdered my brother and you have banished me from your presence that I will now be vulnerable to those who want to take vengeance on me. God protects him with some token. Which we do not know what it is. 
right? We, 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 could talk, we could talk until the trumpet sounds, and we, you will not know what the mark of Cain was. But just remember this, folks. Right? The mark of Cain is not a punishment. It is a protection. It was not designed to make his life more difficult. It was designed to secure his life. Cain goes, everybody that, everybody that sees me now is going to come after me. God says, I'll take care of that. I will put some label of protection upon you that people will not want to hurt you. So that's all we know about it. It is a protective mark to spare Cain in some way from the wrath of man. And that brings us then, folks, to verse number 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Which kind of brings the story to its conclusion. The story began with his mother saying, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And now that man has walked away from the Lord that God gave to his mother. And he moves to the land of Nod which you may have a note in your Bible, if you have a study Bible, means the land of the wanderers. Right? This is what he said, I will be a vagabond and a fugitive. So where did he go to live? He went to, he went to live in the land of the fugitives. Right? So the story begins, folks, by telling us about two men, I emphasize this, two men who are from the same family physically, Cain and Abel have the same parents, and we're never allowed, and I don't think anybody ever argues this, but we're just never allowed to claim that they had two different sets of birth parents, one set of birth parents, first Cain, then Abel. But folks, the Bible is equally clear that although they are from the same parentage physically, they are not from the same parentage spiritually, and that's where the problem really lies. We're going to come back to Genesis but let me ask you to look at two verses, or 1 John chapter 3 and a couple of verses in 1 John. All right, I kind of return to this, where we are at the very beginning. Here, here they come. One brings his offering and God accepts it, and one brings his offering, and God rejects it. And if all we're doing, folks, is looking at the physical components, here's a dead animal for the sake of conversation because we identify with it. Here's a bushel basket of soybeans. And God goes, I take the animal, but I reject the soybeans. We shouldn't think God likes dead animals, but God doesn't like soybeans. Because it's not about so much the physical elements. Right? The problem is right? two men from the same family physically, but not from the same family spiritually. First John 3.11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should, we should love one another, not as Cain. Not as Cain who was of that wicked one. 
And the idea there is out of the wicked one. As Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 8, you are of your father the devil. And slew his brother. And by the way, the Greek here, slew, is very helpful to us to understand what happened in Genesis. He cut his throat. Cain argued with his brother, took his knife, stabbed his brother in the throat. And basically offered his brother as a sacrifice in the same fashion that Abel probably offered his firstling of his flock. And wherefore slew he him, verse number 12, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. But you'll notice what proceeds, folks. What is it that made Cain's works evil? The source of the works. They're the works that came out of the devil, his father. And Cain then has no faith. One other passage in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11. And verse number 4. Hebrews 11.4, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So again, what is it that is driving the quality of Abel's sacrifice? It is his faith. What is it that is driving the wickedness of Cain's works? It is his absence of faith. He has no faith because he is out of the wicked one. Verse number, back to verse number 4 of Hebrews 11. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. And then I'm going to pass over Enoch to Hebrews 11.6, a verse that we all know, and one of the reasons that I emphasized the essence of what God said to Ache, to Cain. If thou doest well, if you are pleasing, will it not be accepted? But without faith, Hebrews 11.6, it is impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Now, okay, I just want, I'm not trying to complicate this, folks. I'm not saying that there was nothing wrong mechanically with, with Cain's gift. Right? God may have said to both boys, here's the nature of things that I find acceptable. And in this case, it needs to be a living animal that is sacrificed. So Cain was wrong in offering the grain instead of the, that may have been what happened. But it's much more than just simply getting it wrong mechanically. Cain had it wrong spiritually. <coughs> he didn't have any faith in God his source of authority and operation and even spiritual existence was Satan. He was of the wicked one. In other words, folks, right? let's just think about this. Here, right? here's, here's what God is telling us about Cain. Cain is a man without faith. 
How staggering is it to talk about a man that has no faith when he is a man that can converse with God personally? When you go back to Genesis 4, folks, Cain is having a conversation with God. There are lots of people who would like to tell us that if they could have a conversation with God and be assured that it is God, that they would do anything that God said. Well, here's a man having it. Which then raises, creates in me this question, where is the deficiency of his faith? If God is talking to him and he is talking to God and yet he is a man without faith, what does that look like? What does that mean? And so I come back to this, folks. There must have been some instruction given about what the offering should have been and how it should have been constituted. But we would make a mistake if we started with, to use the language of the Lord's Supper, the elements. Because that is not where God starts. He starts with the real problem, which is the heart. But Cain simply did not have enough faith to do what he had been commanded to do. And God did not find that pleasing because whatsoever is not of faith cannot be pleasing to him. Right? So, and there's two criteria put in there to that faith. He must believe that he is, which it seems like Cain must have had that dimension, and that he has rewarded them that diligently seek him, which Cain obviously did not have. Because to go back to Genesis chapter 4, we discover that Cain goes on to live his life away from the Lord's face, which is really what departed from the presence of the Lord is. Okay? So here we are, to go back to Genesis chapter 4. Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord, dwells in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. So rather than destroy the sinful man, which God had promised, right? If you, if you eat this, you will die. God graciously allows Cain not only to survive, but to build a civilization. Alan Ross, in his really good commentary on Genesis, puts it this way. What became of the person who rebelled against God, left the land of blessing in defiance of the laws and sacrifices? He prospered. And so you have, in verses 16 through 24, the story of Cain and his descendants in which sin now moves from the immediate family of Adam and Eve into society at large, into Lamech. There is the story of Cain's immediate family without answering any of the questions that we want to know where he got his wife, but we know that the world is being populated by this time. Cain knew his wife. She conceived, bare Enoch. He built a city called the name of the city after his son, Enoch, which I think we should understand, folks, is kind of a derivative of the idea of knowing good and evil, being able to put a label on something. In the moral sense of being able to put the label, this is mine, belonging to me. And we return to this, we will see this, because every time we find somebody naming something in the early chapters of Genesis, it is an act of defiance against God. Who's, who wants his name attached to things. In verses 19 through 24, there is the story of a civilization that is built 
by Cain's descendants. I'm going to fulfill Bradley's prophecy, right? Ten minutes on the clock. I think that's what he meant. <laughs> With his, his and Charity's malicious poem last night. Right? We have an entire culture that is developed. Verses 19 through 22. Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada. The name of the other Zillah. Ada bare Jubal. He was the father of such and dwell in tents. And of such as have cattle. Animal husbandry. And his brother's name, verse 21, was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handled the harp and organ music. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal Cain, verse 22, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And his sister was Tubal Cain. The sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. We have commerce and industry. So we have, in a group of people who have turned their back on God, they have gone away from the presence of the Lord outside of his face, and they have begun to live and to build a civilization. And that civilization, folks, doesn't just constitute raising of animals and having its own type of music and having its own type of commerce and industry. It is a culture that has its own dimension of morality. Here is the first polygamy in the Bible. A man takes two wives. Because remember... Remember, folks, the great appeal of Satan is that it will be now up to you to put the label on what is wrong and right. And we have, and we will return to this in a few weeks after the first of the year, because I think, and again, I couldn't prove this and I wouldn't fight over it, but I think Jesus is directly responding to Lamech's vengeance motif. Verse number 23, Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto me in my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged seventyfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. There, there is a moral code that is being developed. And, and, and some guys actually argue, and I'm, I'm, this is not their words, so I'm just going to supply the words. But, but some guys actually argue that this is an early form of threatened domestic violence that what Lamech is doing is cautioning his wives not to oppose him but he is certainly claiming a 70 times greater intensity of vengeance than that which Cain exercised on Abel Cain is avenged 70 fold Lamech will be avenged 70 times 7 and then I'm just going to work, I'm just going to mention this in verses 25 and 26. And 20, or verses 25 and 26, there is a distinct line, a separate line of people born separate from the descendants of Cain. And this is why I think that, and one of the reasons I'd argue this, right, we know that Seth is classified as a believer. And we also know, right, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is, this is some, right, civilization is advanced to the place that the worship of God is not simply an individual matter, but appears to be something that occurs within groups of people. That's what call upon the name of the Lord refers to, some organized re- response and worship of the Lord. Um, a formal proclamation of God's name, which is followed up then, Right, Genesis 5.1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Right, so you've had to this point, 
beginning in Genesis 2-4, this is the book of the generations of the creation of the earth. And we talk about what happened to the earth. And what happened is death came into the earth, sin came into the earth, violence came into the earth, and now we have the story of Adam. What happened to Adam and his descendants? They all died. Genesis 5 has been called the cemetery of the Bible. Everybody dies. Right up until we get to Adam. And then we're, I mean, up until we get to Noah. Then we'll pause and we'll talk about Noah. But everybody is dying. So when we get to this point, when we get to this point, folks, in the Genesis record, right, we already have more than ample evidence that Satan lied and God did not. If you, if you eat the fruit, you will die. And Satan said, no, you won't. But they all died. And we're going to stop there, and we'll be back in 10 minutes.